It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel takes a comprehensive look at gun deaths in Wisconsin and analyzes detailed records county by county. We explore this new report based on statewide analysis and conversations with concerned gun owners. And you can be part of the discussion. Call in with a question. Share comments. 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. John Dietrich is a Milwaukee Journal Sentinel investigative reporter, held an O'Brien Fellowship in Public Service Journalism at Marquette University that was integral to this project on gun deaths. John, welcome back to the Ideas Network. Thanks for having me, Kate. Your reporting reveals that homicides, police shootings, and accidents account for less than a third of all gunshot deaths in Wisconsin, the vast majority being suicides involving firearms. How does that discovery challenge our perceptions about guns? Well, I and I appreciate those numbers just sort of settling. Um, I've done I've worked at the Journal Sentinel for almost 20 years now, and I've written a lot about those first three categories. And those are really important. And we're not um, really mindful of not um, sort of um, setting aside or um or suppressing, if you will, those categories. But I think it's really important, and as I talk to public health officials, um, researchers and so forth, um, that the full picture uh, of uh, of firearms deaths be understood. And I think what what it really uh, brought home for me as we looked at county by county data is that um, while the circumstances behind a suicide and and homicide accident and so forth are naturally different, um, there is... Um, there is a, a commonality, if you will, of the means, and it is affecting uh, everybody in our state, uh, albeit in um, some different ways. I just, when you map it out county by county and you look at the state as a whole, I was taken aback just by how pervasive it, it is that it's, um, you know, the perception being that this is just confined to Milwaukee, perhaps. When you look at that map that you created, what do you see? Well, it's really interesting. That was from the beginning, a thought about the map and how it changes when you include um, suicide and uh, and when you um, and when you adjust for population. Um, you know, what you see is a, a, a map that really changes from the focus being in southeastern Wisconsin. And again, not trying to diminish at all what is a really serious uh, issue in Milwaukee and some other uh, urban areas of the state with homicide, but the map changes pretty significantly, and and the the focus sort of visually uh, goes to northern counties mm-hmm. um, that are uh, much smaller um, and are feeling a a large burden, um, a heavy weight uh, of these gun deaths. Um, I went through the data, uh, as I said, for these counties, and it is a lot uh, of um, suicides in, in in some of these counties it's a hundred percent you know that that homicide uh is not uh, a factor say in a county uh like for instance iron county or wood county some of these counties it's a hundred percent um suicide so you see the map change uh pretty significantly um and it, it you know it's a surprise milwaukee's not number one um for gun deaths in the state. It's number seven when you adjust and include um, suicide. Let me just, before we go further too, let me just say that if somebody's hearing this and um, they're feeling suicidal, I just always want to make sure that 
people know that there's a resource uh, dialing 988 and uh, and I've just been um, trying to make sure to to include that in, in our messaging in this project. Yes, and in, it is um, through all of your reporting as well. Um, last year, for the first time, gun-involved suicides in Wisconsin exceed 500, according to your analysis of, of the state health data. Um, and, and you found gun suicides are, are primarily taking the lives of rural and suburban residents. What might what might be causing that pattern? Well, it's it's complex, uh, you know, and I think one of the things that was really um, reinforced for me uh, speaking with experts like Sarah Kolbeck and Jean Papalia, people who have worked in this area, uh, Debbie Trader, um, I think their caution is against finding a, a simple um, uh, solution um, or a simple cause, if you will, and then solutions are not as simple either. But you know, we're looking at a combination of uh, financial stress, of uh, people being isolated, some pandemic, uh, you know, results. Um, alcohol uh, uh, is a is a factor for sure in our our state. Availability of firearms are a factor, and. I think what's important and, and what was uh, interesting to me and, and was reinforced a number of times is that gun owners themselves are not more prone uh, to things like uh, mental health uh, challenges or even crises. Um, but the point that was made is because of the means and the lethality of the means, it is by far the most lethal means uh, of, of suicide, um, that uh, when those things come up, it's really important um, to understand that there needs to be separation um, from those means in, in the times of crisis uh, that, uh, you know, so through a, uh, maybe a death of a child or a, a divorce, uh, something sudden like that, when the means are there and they're available, um, that uh, that's when the situation happens. And, and what's interesting, too, is that the research shows if even some minutes uh, can be uh, put between those means and the crisis, that can make the difference wow. uh, in cases such as that. We're talking about this new report on gun deaths in Wisconsin. John Dietrich, investigative reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And you can join in at any point, call in with a question, share your thoughts at 800-642-1234, email ideas at wpr.org. John, as you talk there um, and, and talk about the diversity of people in, in Wisconsin, rural, urban, our state having a rich hunting tradition, I wonder, does that complicate the firearm deaths in Wisconsin? Well, it, it, it's part of the factor to, to consider that that is one of the reasons that somebody um, would, would own firearms would be hunting. And it's a, a great love, as you said, for a lot of people. Um, there are uh, people who have... Um, that you know the 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 gun that they've used and, and adored for many years for hunting has ended their lives in cases we we saw cases like that um and uh it, i think it's what what's really um important to to understand is how people view the firearms and how they think about it proactively um around things like this is something that is a love for me um but maybe at this time because of i i i tell a story in the project uh, about somebody, Debbie Trader and her husband mm. um, held guns for a friend uh, who loves hunting. And uh, but they were in a period of time that was very difficult. And so what uh, what she and her husband did is they went and sat with the person. They had just gone through a very difficult situation and they held on to those guns 
Um, for a while, everybody agreed that that was, you know, for the best. And they, uh, Debbie and her husband took them to their house. This happens actually a, a lot. Um, uh, uh, research is showing about 30% of gun owners report holding guns for other people, other fellow gun owners in times of distress. And then the guns came back to the person for hunting, but they're kept in a different way right now. And so I, I think there's like a thought of, of it doesn't necessarily mean in some of these cases that the guns are gone forever, but that there is a thoughtful process and that others are involved in this and that that person can hunt today and that there's some precautions put in place. John Dietrich, investigative reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, sharing this new analysis on gun deaths in Wisconsin, a comprehensive look. Be part of the conversation. Call in with a question. Share your thoughts. 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. We're in conversation with Milwaukee Journal Sentinel investigative reporter John Dietrich, whose project on gun deaths in Wisconsin provides a really nuanced look with statewide figures and these in-depth interviews with gun owners. And there's space to talk. Call in with a question. Share your views. 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. John, you interviewed dozens of gun owners for this series of reports. What surprised you? What came out from their perspectives? Well, I, I think one of the things that I, I write in the uh, in the project, an essay, reporter essay, which is um, you know sort of different for me. I've not done a lot of those in my career, and um, but I felt like it was appropriate because there was sort of a personal journey that went on here. Um, you know, some of the stuff that was really surprising to me was it, things like, I mean, it's sort of obvious now, but I, I didn't really think about it before, but there really isn't a gun community. You know, that phrase, among others, gets used. And what I found was that there were, uh, there's a lot of people who own this item um, and and they have different views and different life experiences. And, um, and so rather than try to... Um, take these these interviews that I talk to people and sort of, of flatten them and, 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 and say, well, like everybody kind of thinks this way or this is a surprising thing. I wanted people's stories to, to sort of be able to breathe and, and, and be a little bit more expansive. And so that's what we did in this case is tell people's, you know, experiences um, of, of how uh, they have uh, engaged with the issue of mental health firearms, um, what their relationship is with guns, how it was that they uh, began to, um, you know, when they first owned uh, a gun, what what the the experience uh, was. And so I, I think what it, the I think the word nuance is a good way to put it, because I found that it's it's, it's more complicated uh, than sometimes you know, what we see on social media, which I think is more uh, maybe indicative of the edges of some of these um, conversations. And I think there's a lot more um, nuance in the middle when when um, when you talk to uh, to gun owners. I, I just would also say, too, that there are different definitions that people have. And so we, we went to some 
efforts to not use some of the catchphrases that get used. And again, I'm not sort of uh, casting aspersions on colleagues. I've used these phrases for years. So it's it's I, I see because of the fellowship some time in this. But terms like gun violence, responsible gun owners, things like that are are interpreted and defined differently. So when I would talk to gun owners, I realized that there was not a shared understanding of some of those phrases. So rather than use those phrases, we got a little, little bit more descriptive. And, and, mm. and that was an eye-opening thing for me. How did you convince gun owners to talk with you for this project? This is a really good question. So at the beginning, I thought this is going to be very difficult. And, um, you know, and there were some challenges with people being skeptical. Um, you know, again, the the media in general, we don't have, you know, we don't score super high right around Congress, I guess, sometimes in trust. I don't know. You know, it's part of the job, right? So I get that, you know, we're, we're balkanizing to a lot of people. And sometimes we bring news people just, you know, they don't want to hear. And it's part of what we do. But, um, but I did wonder about that. I mean, I think part of my background was helpful in that I, I covered the military at one time um, when I was in Colorado Springs and I traveled embedded a, a few times, including to Iraq in 2003. Um, so I had familiarity with guns. I'm not a gun owner. That's something that came up quite a bit uh, from people would ask. Um, but but I've shot a lot because I've uh, been out with the military. I used to cover the police department in Milwaukee and, and, and so forth. And I have a number of friends. Um, certainly. And so I guess that was helpful to some degree. But um, I think also it, it was uh, my friend Jim Stingle, who retired from the paper, he and I had lunch. And, you know, he said it's almost like this was a story in plain view that we couldn't see or I couldn't see until I started calling people. My our former editor, George Stanley, who's a gun owner, he's the one who put me on this idea to begin with. He said, I think you'd be really surprised when you talk to gun owners. And I was really, you know, just honored by the willingness that people had uh, to talk to me. And like I said, it started off with like one or two or three. And then it just became, um, you know, dozens of people, gun owners across the state who talked to me, who, again, brought a, a variety of different um, life experiences, backgrounds, opinions, and just were super gracious in, in, mm. in trusting and sharing their stories with me. Giving their time, giving their honesty and transparency. So, so important to this. John Dietrich with us as we talk about gun deaths in Wisconsin. John is a Milwaukee Journal Sentinel investigative reporter and headed up this project. You can join in with your questions and comments, 800-642-1234. Steve is here in Stoughton. Steve, hi, go ahead. Hey, good morning, and thank you for what I think is a really important conversation. I wanted to share uh, a story, ask a question. Um, I went to a session uh, for caregivers of uh, patients with uh, people with dementia, and the session was about behaviors and how to respond uh, to, to your family member uh, with dementia. And what was interesting was that about 50% of the people there talked about their family member who had dementia, who owned guns, would bring the guns out, would handle them, and, you know, how do we respond to that when they want to keep their guns and, and all this stuff? So it was very, very interesting 
and I was honestly shocked that there were that many people uh, saying this was an issue for them. But I wonder in the research if dementia comes up and how that, like, it seems like a simple thing that we could <laughs> just deal with. If you have dementia, we take away your gun kind of thing. But anyway, I'm curious yes. to know. Steve, thank you so much for sharing your story with that and that education session. John, go ahead. Yeah, that is a really good point. And that's an area of research. There's a, a researcher out of Denver uh, that I've spoken to quite a bit, Dr. Emmy Betts, who's uh, worked in this area. This is a this is a real issue, especially as we have aging population, individuals who have firearms, you know, and are and are uh, approaching the sort of autumn of their life and so forth. And the the this is this is hits home for people as to like what to do in this case. And I know a lot of families are entering in um, to this conversation. One of the things that Emmy Betts talks about is the um, volunteer nature of that's always where these conversations start whether somebody is uh distressed uh in an organic you know sort of mental illness way and dementia would be sort of an offshoot of that entering into these conversations and talking um as a family um there are other measures we don't have red flag law in wisconsin though there are measures where you know somebody there is uh temporary detention of individuals that but those are extreme situations and what dr betts advised and this is exactly what's being talked about now is entering into this as a family and saying you know what sorts of things uh can we do at this point sometimes the individual who might not be aware uh and their wherewithal they might not understand where they're at and in those situations perhaps more significant steps uh, could, you know, should be taken in that. And I, I think we're going to see more of that as the population ages. And I, it's just a really real question, too, when people are approaching the end of their life, kind of what happens to the firearms. Hmm. Um, and I know of situations where people will, uh, will have essentially done this without the person's knowledge. That can be fraught you know, to like mm -hmm. remove the firearms without telling the person. And then, you know, if they are have the wherewithal to remember that they at one time did have a firearm, you could create a situation. Um, but it is an emerging area that there isn't a simple solution for. But I know and I really appreciate, Steve, you bringing this forward, because this is a really important issue and one that uh, I think a lot of families are grappling with. You met gun you met gun owners and sellers trying to connect others with mental health services. Can you describe their efforts? Well, this is a big uh, category. So uh, we had a, 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 a piece. I, I met a, a gentleman um, named Mike Sedini. Mike's not from Wisconsin, but he's been to Wisconsin a lot for different uh, gun events. He used to be a gun dealer, like he was in a gun importer. And uh, he was really struck by the, um, the reluctance among gun owners to talk about mental health and mental wellness, that, that there was a gap between that world and the gun world that and and he also would describe how he would come to gun shows and people some people he knew friends were just not there anymore and nobody was really talking about it and it was because they had died by suicide so he launched this group called walk the talk america and what was so interesting is that through that group and then also this effort um we talked a little bit about gun shops stepping into this as being a storage uh, location for people there is an emerging conversation uh, around mental health among firearms owners to say, hey, is 
this is something to be more open to and that some gun owners for various reasons are very reluctant to go and talk to therapists. Not all don't want to paint a broad brush, you know, mm -hmm. be careful in that area. But what what Mike Sedini and some others are saying is, hey, let's be honest and let's say, hey, when we need help um, in the veteran community, that's emerging as a conversation and in other places. Let's and, and let's also just be honest that there are some really bad outcomes that mm -hmm. have happened and are happening with firearms. John Dietrich, investigative reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, describing his work to report out gun deaths in Wisconsin. You can join in the conversation, 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show here on the Ideas Network. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel publishes a first-of-its-kind analysis on gun deaths in Wisconsin. The series, called Behind the Gun, sheds light on deaths that are difficult to track and shares these wide-ranging perspectives of gun owners. Call in with a question. Add your thoughts, 800-642-1234. Email ideas at wpr.org. And if you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, call or text the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988, three digits, 988. John Dietrich is an investigative reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, worked on this project John, we heard from Suzanne in Manitowoc County called in, and Suzanne is wondering if there's data detailing how many people in Wisconsin die by suicide using a gun under the age of 18. And then Suzanne has a follow-up question, wants to know how many people use a gun to take their own life due to age or terminal illness. Did your did your data from the counties um, go into that? It uh, it the age uh, categories are available um, not for every county. Um, this effort, Wisconsin has a decentralized death investigation system, so we went out to every county um, and and pulled that data, and so we got various kinds of data. So sometimes we got uh, age data. Um, and I can tell you just from broadly from the State Department of Health, which has these numbers, you know, sort of across the state, uh, that there is a category, you know, under 18. Um, and that is a growing category in terms of the overall numbers. The largest category uh, of gun suicides uh, are white males over the age of 50 in rural uh, counties, though there's some important categories that are growing. Um, among African-American, for instance, in Milwaukee County, we've seen some uptick. African-American and Latino girls in Milwaukee County, we've seen um, some of those uh, increase. And uh, and again, the CDC numbers uh, that uh, firearms are the number one cause of death uh, for children right now. Suicide uh, is part of that. Um, and it's really important in that case to talk about access to firearms that um, in this case, that um, somebody uh, who owns a firearm, they themselves uh, might be, you know, in a good spot with mental illness or mental health or mental wellness, if you will, 
uh, but somebody in their house may not be. And a number of gun owners that I talked to were very mindful, not just of their own situation, but who is with them in the house. Uh, do they have small children? Do they have teenagers uh, who could be going through some you know, some difficult times. And it's really important in that category uh, to secure uh, the firearms that they're not accessible uh, to people who do not um, have access or should not have access to them. And that certainly would be a, uh, you know, a teenager who's going through a, a, a difficult time. But yes, that is a category that has been growing. And as for the first time last year, as you mentioned, we, we crossed over 500 gun deaths um, by firearm in Wisconsin. And the number or the percentage of firearm deaths, it's gone up 100% since 2004. And in that time, suicide is a big category. Um, mm. And to your second point about the end of life, um, that is a category that I've heard from other, uh, other individuals. And that's clearly, it, it doesn't come out in the data because uh, you know some of the circumstances around it are not marked. So it's, you have to go into the to the detail of the reports to see what was going on. But we have a very powerful story from Kurt Kurt Green, who is from Manitowoc County, and um, and he tells that he's the coroner of Manitowoc County, and he's really interesting in that he is a strong Second Amendment supporter and a strong Democrat, and uh, and he, he's had a lot of this sort of. Uh, tragedy in his life and his grandfather took his life mm. um, he had uh, cancer and uh, and you know it, it's just it's a very uh, difficult uh, situation for families and it's and it's come up uh, quite a bit in the numbers that that is that's what's happening um, in a number of these cases you bring up Manitowoc County coroner Kirk Green who was particularly cooperative with this project what do you think motivated him to help you with this project? Well, it's it's interesting. He did jump off, if you will, of the data. So we went out to all 72 counties and Kurt came back with uh, data that was way more detailed, even than, say, Milwaukee County or Waukesha or Dane. Um, and because he's what he's doing is he's creating categories that are not required by the state. He is interested, truly, as he's an elected coroner. Um, to communicate with the people of Manitowoc County about what's going on, not only in this category, but things like overdoses and so forth. Uh, he's a former paramedic. Um, one of his deputies is an ER doctor. So they have a level of professionalism that, you know, not every coroner has in the state, certainly. Um, and, you know, his personal story, I mentioned his grandfather dying by suicide when Kurt was young, when he was six years old. Uh, but then he had other uh, cases uh, that had, had come up. His sister uh, and his nephew were murdered uh, by his brother-in-law, who then took his life. Um, and he himself has um, a, a situation with his father, who was approaching the end of his life. And uh, dementia, uh, dementia was a, a factor there. And he was asking for his guns back. And, and Kurt and the family were like, no, we're not going to do that. You know, and then his day job, so to speak, his corner. He sees a, a lot of this. So Kurt was really motivated uh, to share this data. There's going to be an event uh, that they're actually planning in Manitowoc uh, in the coming months where he's going to talk about Manitowoc's uh, data, Manitowoc County for the residents there. And he's going to, I'm going to come and attend that and talk a little bit about uh, the plan is for me to talk a little bit about what we found uh, statewide as well to help inform the public as to what's going on. 
Meanwhile, digging just a bit into your reporter's notebook here, the, the state health department collects comprehensive detailed data about violent deaths, but the department wouldn't provide you with that information. Why was that? Well, there are um, what's happening here is there are two laws that are uh, colliding, as they explained it from the state. Um, this data has been collected for 20 years. Uh, the CDC uh, directed the states, and Wisconsin was one of the first ones to do this. And so this is collecting data not around just gun deaths, but any violent deaths, so car crashes and things of that nature for, for public health uh, researchers and officials to to act upon it. Um, so the state uh, collects this data. It's it's closely guarded because there is a state law that protects uh, the privacy of individuals uh, after death and, and protecting their, their families' um, uh, privacy. Um, there is a way, so under the open records law, which is the law that we typically use as media, that, that's how we get records. Um, but uh, there is a way to get the data. Researchers routinely get it. Um, and because I was at Marquette, we sought the data that way. Um, and the state said, you know, we just can't, uh, we can't sort of see past the fact that you are a reporter, um, so to speak. So we know you're going to write stories and you're not a researcher in the sort of traditional sense. So we're not going to give you the data. It, it was frustrating because the state collects this data. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been uh, behind, but they collect this data and they put it together but they wouldn't give it to us. So then my students and I ended up sort of embarking on this large uh, effort to go to every county in the state. Um, and the coroners and medical examiners, 71 of, of 72 counties gave, uh, gave us the data. It was, like I said, a varying quality, uh, but you can see online, there's a lookup tool uh, that my colleague Andrew Hahn created uh, that will allow people in every county in the state to, to basically get a snapshot of not only of what's happening statewide, but what's happening in their county. John Dietrich is an investigative reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel with a new report on gun deaths, comprehensive statewide look. You can join in with your questions and comments, 800-642-1234. Marcus in Milwaukee is here. Marcus, hi. What's on your mind? Good morning, Kate. So I went to Tosa West. Um, in the 90s, uh, my friend's father, who was the associate principal, was gunned down in the hallway. Um, this is constantly a, a topic that we keep addressing, but we're not addressing in terms of trying to come to some sort of resolution on how to lower gun deaths. Uh, in terms of the dementia thing, would it be possible to take and create some sort of technological solution where um, people who have guns and are getting up there in age are required to get a safe that has a two-person system to access the safe. That way the, the owner could still maintain their dignity and could still go hunt with family members, but there would have to be somebody else there who is then able to open the safe with them to make sure that they're cognizant and that they're, that they're at their functioning level and then make sure that the guns are stowed safely. Marcus, thank you. What about tech interventions and innovations, John? What did you find out? Well, this is really interesting. First of all, uh, my condolences for you know for your loss. I, I grew up in Wauwatosa, so I remember this case uh, quite well. Um, and uh, and you're right. This is a conversation that's gone on for a long time. Um, and I, w what struck me a little bit that uh, at least I wasn't aware of is these, these conversations among gun owners, and particularly among. Um, 
conversations in that group around technology. There's new technology um, that uh, I was not aware of to uh, exactly what you're talking about, which is uh, two-party um, uh, access uh, to uh, uh, safes. Um, there is um, uh, there are multiple reasons why that might be the case. Um, there is uh, technology now that allows that could you know have uh, cell phones so that a loved one or trusted person um, could could be you know um, accessed. They would know, be notified if the gun owner wanted to get access to their firearm. This is coming up right now with people who need a break and they maybe do not want to remove firearms from the home entirely. So they might. Uh, to factor that with uh, a spouse or, or, or a family member, or they could lock themselves away from them for 30 days. The technology allows that. And it's advanced to the point where I think there was some years ago skepticism about the uh, accessibility, but the technology has come, has been explained to me a long way. And so you're seeing discussions um, among gun owners, including at gun shows, say this is a really smart thing. For years and years, I didn't know this, but for years and years, gun owners have been, um, as a precaution with their own mental health, have put uh, pictures of their loved ones on their safe. So when they go to remove their gun, they're thinking about the person uh, that is closest to them, their children, spouse, and so forth. Um, that was sort of an, uh, you know, an old school way, and it's still done. Uh, but technology provides some new opportunities. And I think that that's a really interesting observation in the area of dementia, that here would be a possibility to keep the dignity, uh, but also provide uh, separation um, so it's not immediately accessible. John Dietrich, investigative reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, providing insights on his new series called Behind the Gun, detailing gun deaths across the state and interviews with gun owners. Be part of this conversation. Call in with a question. Share your views. 800-642-1234. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network. It is The Morning Show. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. We explore how Wisconsinites view guns in a new special report from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that provides statewide analysis on gun deaths and in-depth interviews with gun owners. The series is called Behind the Gun. Call in with a question. Share what's on your mind. 800-642-1234. Email ideas at WPR.org. John Dietrich is an investigative reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. John, on the Sentinel's website, you can see these really detailed statistics, county by county, and a breakdown there. I mean, why explore this data snapshot in your own county, your own community? Why is that valuable? Our initial um, proposal or, or statement was that how do gun deaths affect you where where you are wherever you might be reading this and i think the the thought and it's under it's understandable um why this is that i think that the focus goes to certain kinds of deaths i have a friend of mine and i uh, 
quote him in the story, the essay. He's a former uh, Army intelligence officer, and he said, John, you know, part of the problem um, in the media is that you guys uh, focus on the unusual and you suppress the usual. And I was sort of defensive about that at first. And, and, and I said, well, in this category, I think, it, you know, and others, but in this category, I think that's definitely true. So there is this large category of deaths that people in parts of the state might not know about at all. Even people um, who maybe have some inkling of this, because especially around the issue of suicide, there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of secrecy. There's not a lot of public reporting. So people have been very surprised. And I think... What we wanted to bring home to people is that here's a little bit of information where I should say where people's privacy is protected. We're very mindful of the concerns that the state has and that others have. And Andrew Hahn, our, our developer who, who created this, was careful and, and respectful um, in how we created this. But we wanted to give people a sense that this is uh, affecting you in, in ways because it's not homicide maybe some of the steps would be different. They would be, certainly, um, whether those countermeasures be um, voluntary, government-involved, a combination thereof, uh, but that it is uh, affecting every county in the state, albeit in different ways. One county, Trumpelo, um, didn't provide you with gun death data. Why might that be? Well, um, yeah, so that that was an interesting case. Uh, the uh, the coroner Bonnie Kinsey is the uh, she's an elected official. So the way it works in Wisconsin is that there are uh, counties that have elected coroners, and then there's appointed medical examiners. So mm-hmm. that that coroner is like the county clerk or so forth. They run for office, their constitutional office, and and so when they're because they're a constitutional officer, they're um, <clears throat> you know in control of the records that they keep, um, and <clears throat> our reporting indicated, you know, as we were going through all the counties, this was one county where we were not getting any cooperation at all. And we did involve uh, lawyers, uh, first for uh, from Gannett Corporation, Tom Curley, and then Tom Kamenik, who runs uh, a firm here in Wisconsin. Um, and through those efforts, we were able to get data from 71 of the 72 counties. Uh, Bonnie Kinchy was very uh, clear that she was not going to give me the records uh, or give us the records. Uh, and again, we we worked all different ways. To, I actually went to Whitehall, which is the the uh, county seat. It's uh, south of uh, Eau Claire County, and it just she just was, as we say, not feeling it. It was not happening, and um, and so that was the one county where uh, we didn't have uh, uh, you know any data. And uh, you know, Bill. Uh, leaders from the uh, FOIA Council in Madison commented clearly that he, you know he felt like this was was a violation of the uh, open records law that at least uh, Bonnie should have shown us uh, or allowed us to inspect the records, uh, but she but she would not do that. Um, I do have to highlight that that I was really encouraged by all the other counties uh, that came forth, and there's a lot of people out there who are really doing their best, underpaid. Uh, under uh, resourced, working with their own computers, sometimes people who are uh, doing this work out in counties who were super helpful and and, and cooperative with us. Um, and I, I was really, really encouraged by that. And, you know, and I have to say, you know, disappointed, discouraged what happened in, in, in Trempolo. 
I notice as we talk here, you use a lot of people's names um, as we go along this conversation. Sources' names, the people who worked on this effort, it almost feels as if it it takes a village, so to speak, uh, that <laughs> that that line to to really capture a bigger sense of what is happening, a comprehensive look at, at gun deaths. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It, it really was when, and that's where what the reporter's essay was was able to really do is allow me to really um, help recognize how this effort started. And and again, this like I say, this story wasn't my idea. George Stanley, um, uh, it was his idea. Our former editor and Greg Borowski, who's now our editor in chief, has very kindly and and amazingly stayed as the word editor on this and and Daphne Chen who's our investigations editor she shepherded it through but I mean th- this started you know sort of in, a, in an office at Marquette about, you know last uh, summer and it just became clear to me that this work was really important that we, we were telling stories and we had an opportunity to, to tell stories in a different way and it was going to require um it was going to require a lot of people to sort of bring this um, uh, to light. And, you know, my my um, uh, Alex Rivera Grant and Ben Schultz were my students at Marquette, and they just did amazing work. They just were, un, uh, you, know, un, um, you know, unflappable through the process. And I just I, I really feel blessed by all the support that came at Marquette, um, Dave Umhafer, who some of you will know from his work at the Journal Sentinel, is the director over at the O'Brien Fellowship. I just remember late call, you know, late night conversations with people trying to get our heads around what is the framing of this? What are we trying to see? And I think that, you know, it, it ended up being encapsulated in the project name, which is, you know, as you've mentioned, behind the gun. What we're trying to do is not only get that data. But most importantly, to get the, the, the human stories, the humanity, and, mm-hmm. and, and really lead with that. And, and that was, you know, that was our goal. And bringing in all these other folks who helped us, uh, I couldn't have done it without them. We only have about 20 or so seconds left. You want to continue reporting and covering this issue. Where does it go next? Yes. So um, our next uh, piece, we're looking at uh, attitudes among gun owners, opinions, uh, practices. Uh, that's an area that we're uh, that mm. we're working on uh, now. Um, we're also very interested in some of the cases that have been raised by your listeners that are intervenable, um, particularly accidental shootings. Mm. Um, and that's a category while a small percentage um, there is some places for public health officials and actions to really uh, have an effect there. John, thank you for joining us. Thank you for your reporting. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. John Dietrich, investigative reporter at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, worked on Behind the Gun as part of an O'Brien Fellow in Public Service Journalism at Marquette. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, call or text the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988 988- or text HOME to the National Crisis Text Line at 741-741. I'm Kate Archer-Kent. You're listening to The Morning Show on the Ideas Network.